0: Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, Dr. Leslie Lachance, a poet and educator, shares her thoughts on the role of practicing the arts and business in everyday life and how the participation in art can calm us, inducing self-reflection and a greater capacity to listen and create. Leslie talks about her first bosses as excellent teachers, seeing correction as opportunities instead of failure, and the importance of how we communicate ideas with others. Leslie also graces us with one of her poems. Leslie Chance is a poet, essayist, and freelance editor living in Nashville, Tennessee, where she also teaches literature and writing classes and collaborates with fellow artists on creative projects. Some of her poems and stories have appeared in Still the Journal, Mead, Quiddity, Apple Valley Review, the Birmingham Poetry Review, the Greensboro Review, Juked and other journals. How she got that way, her poetry chat book, was published in the Quartet edition Mend and Hone from Totally Press in twenty thirteen. Three of her poems have been nominated for the Pushcart Prize, and her poem Left received a Best of the Net Award from Sundress.net. Leslie has published articles and reviews in magazines and journals such as the East Nasphilian Stirring, a literary collection, and AWP Pedagogy Forum. She blogs about health, illness, survivorship, and well-being at Sojourn and Stardust. Leslie also edits articles for magazines and academic journals and assists both professional and aspiring writers in preparing manuscripts for publication. She has taught writing and literature courses at the State University of New York at New Paltz, Volunteer State Community College, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and Martin campuses, and Webb School of Knoxville. Leslie also teaches community workshops and professional development seminars in poetry and creative practice. Good morning, Leslie, and welcome to Conflict Managed.
1: Hi, Mary. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so glad that you came on. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, likewise. So let's begin with you telling us about your work history, starting from the very beginning.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, my earliest my earliest work were the things that most teenagers teenagers do right that that would have been let's see I would have worked as a babysitter <laughs> and a server in a restaurant and later in college also a bartender and um, worked in a library um, worked as a special ed uh, teacher's aid after college and also as a small town journalist on a small town paper. Um, Went back to school and got a master's and while I was getting that master's in English, I was taught how to teach composition. So I became a composition instructor Um, And did that for all of my career pretty much afterwards um, and added different credentials along the way, but worked uh, mostly as an English professor at several different institutions um, as a graduate assistant when I was getting my PhD um, and just continued in, in that profession for my entire career with various freelance opportunities along the way for writing Uh, or teaching uh, creative writing workshops and things like that.
0: When you think about your first job experiences, is there a particular one that stands out as being really informative?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the first job I had writing professionally for a newspaper was a job that taught me so much, not just about how to be a better writer, um, and thankfully, I had very kind and supportive editors who were also good teachers. Um, but I learned lots about writing, but I also learned lots about how to interact with people because I was covering things like small town um, planning and zoning meetings and school board meetings and Town council meetings and having to interview people like the town supervisor or the guy who ran the water plant, um, and I got every once in a while I got to do a feature, you know, on an artist or a musician. Um, but but it was I found that the work of 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 writing for a little small town newspaper was as much about the people as it was about the writing, and I was kind of shy, you know, I was a little bit of an introvert. And, and, a, and a poet, you know, like, and so it it really pushed me, it really challenged me, um, I would have to call people up, you know, like cold call them and say, Hi, I, I'm with the Huguenot Harold, and can I speak with you? And, you know, sort of like that. So, um, so I learned interpersonal skills in that as well.
0: That's funny, Leslie, I've known you for quite some time, and I would have never um described you as shy. That's not one of the ways I think about you, but so many of us we start out and we're unsure and we don't know how to do something which makes it even harder. So, how did you push past that and make that call and talk to that person be in that awkward moment? How how did you do that?
1: Um I watched other people around me who did it well. Um like my editors also wrote for the paper and I had, there were other writers on staff and I just would watch them in action and um, thought they were quite brave. And so I, I kind of just mimicked what, what they did, you know, and, and thought, well, you know, nobody's going to do this for me. Um, I have to learn how to do this and to do, to do this job, to do the writing that I wanted to do, right. To get to that, And, and, um, so I, you know, I just, I learned, I learned by watching and then I learned by doing.
0: And I think that's also really important that you had a goal. Like if we don't have a goal, something that we want more than the discomfort of the awkwardness of the, I don't know what to do. Is this going to go okay? But if we have that goal, you had this goal. I want to be a writer that means I have to do this uncomfortable stuff. Maybe the stuff I don't like to do the stuff I like.
1: Exactly.
0: I find without having goals, cause you know, I talk about conflict all the time and I've become more convinced that when people know where they want to go, what they want to accomplish, they can look at their conflict in a different light because they see it not as this all encompassing thing that takes up all the room in their life. They can maybe start for the trees right put it in perspective to say okay i want to be here in five years so now how am i going to address the situation because i have a greater goal
1: right and also being able to you know to articulate those goals to yourself right but also to be able to share them in a way with others who can support you in that goal who want to support you in that goal and you have to you have to be able to identify those people. I mean, sometimes they just, they stand out like, like my editors and the publisher at the newspaper where I worked were, were fabulous. I mean, they were absolutely there, you know, and they weren't, you know, you hear about the tyrannical editors, you know, who make their writers feel this big And my, thankfully my editors were not, were not that. They didn't make me feel stupid even when I did stupid things, you know, or wrote stupid things. You know, they were, they were very gentle and kind in their, um, they, they edited ruthlessly. Like I learned also from them not to fall in love with all my words, right? <laughs> um, but they also made it possible for me to learn how to write better um, in that way.
0: I was just reading an article today about the role of kindness in a workplace. So when you have a boss that, um, or or when you are having a problem, you know, so uh, your work needs work, how do you approach that person so that they will actually achieve instead of feeling shut down? And, you know, people talk about this kindness ratio, you say four to five nice things for one negative comment. And this author was saying, no, a hundred nice things get in the habit of praising people so that they can take, as you said, those edits, which are, as we know, gifts, edits are generosity of somebody helping you be better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think we associate correction with failure,
0: Mm.
1: right? Oh, I've done something wrong. Um, And and I'm not sure where that comes from, but if it's cultural or if it's our schooling or or whatever, um, instead of seeing correction as a chance to really grow and learn. And so I do think I agree. I think making the experience a positive experience, right, is the way that someone can change and grow. Um, from, from whatever it is you're asking them to, to change about their work.
0: Speaking about growing from difficult situations, is there a particular situation at a job that was hard for you? And what, what was it? Why was it difficult?
1: Oh, I think um, several times I've run across situations where I've had what I thought was a really, really good idea. Right to to uh, do a program or undertake some other project um, that would have involved the assistance of coworkers, right? And um, you know, and, and, and you know, and it is a good idea. It's really and like three of the coworkers are like, yeah, 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 and then one of the coworkers is like, no, no way no way and that starts to sour other people on your idea um and honestly if it's too pernicious um sometimes you really have to give up and that's that's a kind of that's a kind of toxicity maybe that you face in a workplace sometimes and you have to sort of know when to cut your losses right and and realize this is not this is not the team that you can work with And other times, you know, you can figure out a way to kind of represent your ideas differently to the different people on the team that in a way that might appeal to each of them, right, to each of their gifts and talents. And so you can say to somebody, you know, well, if we did this, um, could you maybe um, offer this um, to help us out? You know, just this, this is all I'm asking, you know, just one little thing.
0: I think that's a really good point when you put together an idea and somebody shoots it down to try to communicate, okay, well, you know, maybe they heard this is going to take up five of my Saturdays, or um, this is going to negatively impact me in some sort of way. And when you articulate, well, I'm only asking this, that does invite a conversation, a personal conversation
1: right right and you have to you sometimes you really do have to go to people one-on-one you know you can present to your group right like i could present to my english department you know and and five people will be on board and one person will say no also the other thing that can happen and come out of this is that the person who's saying no may actually have a very good reason for saying no and be able to offer you some useful feedback about how to make your project better in a way that would appeal to them. So you can't always take the no as a hard no. It's more like, no, because you're doing it wrong and I have a better idea, right? And, and they might, so it might be worth listening.
0: Yeah. I think some people have this idea of conflict is, um, so I've been on TikTok recently and somebody said to me that if in a work situation you have a conflict, something has gone wrong. That isn't normal. Conflict isn't normal. And I disagree. Conflict managed conflict is good. We want to be able to manage our conflict and we see different, it can be fruitful. So this person says no because they see something else and i absolutely love those sorts of conditions because now we can ping pong back and forth and maybe other people can be brought in and the idea the event whatever it is that we're doing can be bigger better stronger or stronger cuz it's smaller and more precise but when we think about the sense of belonging it's really bringing everybody and as you said playing to their strength. so conflict is a good sign if managed in an organization.
1: Right. Right. And I think always with an arc towards kindness. Mm. Right. But we're human. Right. And so when somebody says no to my idea, I mean, my first stance is to be insulted. Right. Right. Like how dare you? I'm so smart. and I'm (laughs) so good at what I do. How can you not trust me? Right. And, and also, especially if my idea is going to involve effort on other people's parts, right? Like if it's a project, like, so for instance, organizing a conference, you know, I was founder of a, of a young writers conference at um, my university. And when I proposed the idea, a lot of the faculty were really very, very enthusiastic, but there was one faculty member who had had a lot of experience running Uh, Another type of writing workshop. And, um, and she said, she said, I don't think you can do that without. I don't think you can do that. I think you need to contact the teachers you want to invite because it was to bring high schoolers to, to campus and get high school teachers on board, bringing them to campus for a one day event. And um, she says, you know, like, you can't just make this happen. You need to talk to you need to have a conversation with high school teachers first. And I'm not going to participate unless you, you know, do that. And and it's it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. And so Everybody in the department started nodding in agreement with her, you know, like, yeah, why don't you ask people first before you just offer this conference, ask them if they want it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, okay. (laughs) maybe I do need to do that of course they did like like for me it was a foregone conclusion like what high school teacher wouldn't want to take a field trip with their talented kids and bring them to a writer's conference for one day at a university any high school teacher English teacher who's doing their job would want to be able to do this with their students you know that was my thinking and of course I was right but I had to confirm (laughs) I had to confirm it for my colleagues and so I did you know, and it was, you know, it was an extra step, but it was fine. It all worked out.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's such a great example because as you're describing it, I'm like, yeah, of course. And I've been part of this conference. It's been a wonderful conference, well-received in the community. It is still going on, even though you're no longer that institution. (laughs) And um, yeah, I think it's a no brainer as well, but that's, but that's the thing given your own experience and what you know it makes incredible sense to you, but maybe somebody else doesn't have that experience. And when it's a step we can do to offer evidence, um, and it and it's reasonable to do, and it's not burdensome, it's I think it is a kindness to the colleague. Say I I'm listening to you, and mm-hmm. though I believe the evidence is going to merit out what I think, I'm respecting yeah. you by doing this step.
1: Exactly. I was, and she was a more senior colleague. And she had been hired specifically to do a certain type of writing workshop. And so maybe I was stepping on her toes a little bit because she hadn't thought of this idea. And, you know, and I thought, oh, this is just professional jealousy. But she actually had a good point, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. And, and so I think I think just recognizing that if you need if you need to take an ex- extra step to create um confidence in what you're doing, that's fine.
0: Yeah. And I also I, I love ideas. I'm a big idea person and Me. I've spun it all out in my head and I think it's excellent. I think I've got these great ideas. And then when someone else doesn't see it, I'm like, what what is wrong with them? What is going on with them? And yeah. I, I see How that I right <laughs> that this role of self-reflection. I mean self-reflection when we put an idea together that we're excited about, we present it to others, and maybe it's not well received or received in the way that we want. It's completely understandable to feel offended, like, well, what about me? Don't you trust me and my expertise? And you think I haven't thought about that. But, you know, so showing kindness to others when it's the first time they're entering your mind. Right. But then also thinking about when somebody presents an idea to you, they're like, Oh, my goodness, I don't know about that. How do we How do we be kind, um, but say what we, what needs to be said, right? There's that balance of treating people really well. Right. And, you know, and with this
1: person, it was a personality conflict as well. And, you know, she would often come off as being super critical and super negative. Um, And so that's how I read that response you know, whereas if she had said, I love this idea, if she had even just started with that, or I think this could be really good for our department, but she didn't. Yeah. She's like, mm, I don't think this is really gonna work. You know, <laughs> she started off on a negative <laughs> note, you know? And yeah. um and so I I think um I think that like having that happen to me has made me more mindful of uh, like jumping on somebody else's idea with a negative comment initially yeah. that could be completely thoughtless and yeah. reactive.
0: Negative experiences. I mean, none of us want them, but that's life. We're going to have <laughs> negative experiences. We're going to clash with people in our organizations that maybe everybody else loves, but we're like, I, I, that person just doesn't work for me. Uh, mm-hmm. and And that is... A part of, I think, working well in an organization is accepting that fact. You're not going to love everyone. They're not going to love you. That does not mean you can't work excellently with that person. It's learning how to, when somebody is, from your perspective, negative all the time, how do I let that be about them and not about me?
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think think we need to have sort of the courage of our convictions in that, right?
0: When when you have a negative coworker, um, I'm against gossiping. I guess anybody would be against, pretty much say against gossip, uh, gossiping when you say it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I laughs> you mean, know, running so, somebody else down.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so hard though, you know, like to not participate when it's really juicy, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how do we do that? If we want to treat people with kindness, I think that starts with our mind and then how we talk about them when they're not Mm -hmm. present. Um, Mm -hmm. So how do we do that when we have people who are maybe high conflict in our organizations? Do you have any advice for how we work in our environment to not participate in that kind of malicious behavior?
1: yeah i think that um i think that it begins with just your inclination to show respect to everybody and having that sort of foremost in your mind right and that every part- every person in the organization is just valuable in their humanity you know no matter what their role is in the organization right just as human beings these are these are people worthy of our of our respect and kindness right and so if you start from there and you start to hear some negative comments about that person you know i think i think you it's if it's specifically related to work or something like that you can actually talk to colleagues about how to address those things like maybe you should talk to them about that problem you know like why don't you why don't you ask her uh, what's going on or, you know, or if it seems really intractable and the person, and you know, the person is intractable, you know, you might say, well, maybe you need to talk to someone in HR about this issue, you know, Um, and if it's completely like personal attacks and unproductive and doesn't belong, in that space, in that in that workspace, it's it's it can be can be really hard to do it. But I think standing up and saying, you know, that's not what I came to work to hear today, and um and it, it and it and it hurts me to hear you talk about that person that way. Um, and I'm sorry if you feel that way. Um, and I, I and I don't necessarily have to defend the person, but I can talk about how their negativity affects me and make them aware that it's inappropriate. Yeah.
0: I, I also think that one thing that can help with the gossiping is as you kind of said already, the redirecting and moving forward, right. Gossip wants to look at the past, right. And if someone keeps on bringing something in the past, you know, we can help them say, well, maybe this is something you need to address, but taking that. Yeah. What can we do in the next meeting? Yeah. What do you think? What do you want to see happen? How can we bring that about? Right. Helping that person move from playing those ruminations, those tapes in their mind towards forward looking of we want this organization to move forward. We all want to have fulfilling work lives. What are the kinds of behaviors we can put in place to have that kind of environment?
1: Right. Or if you find that you can't work on a team with this person because of some personal you know issues then that's 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 unfortunate right but either you have to figure out a way to work around those right and be a grown-up and you know do it or you need to not be on this team you need to remove yourself Mm -hmm. from the team
0: you know yeah
1: not not make the other person go because you're the one who has the problem working with that person
0: Hmm. A lot of our work, a lot of our work life, right? We spend a lot of our best time at work with these other people. Um, And we aren't angels and we do make mistakes and we do have bad days. And for our listeners who don't know, one of the things that Leslie does is she's a poet. And, you know, (laughs) poets, I've always found very fascinating. And I know you're a big proponent of the arts, It seems to me that if we want our organizations to be strong and have healthy work environments, we have to work on ourselves and we need emotional intelligence. How do you see poetry as helping individuals become more emotionally mature?
1: Oh, that's such a great question, you know, and, and it's interesting because um, David White, I don't know if you know his work at all, but he's, he's actually, he's a poet and he's actually quite famous for doing corporate retreats and things like that um, and encouraging people to write poetry. And I think, um, I think if you're encouraged to write or poetry or really make any art, um, it puts your mind in a different state of, of flow. You know and it can be such an absorbing task that you're able to kind of set aside all of the negativity and anxiety that is uh, running your day-to-day stuff you know and um, and our brains need that kind of food that kind of nourishment right it's a very nourishing practice Um, Even if you don't do it every day or all the time, like last night, I was I've been really, really cranky this week for a lot of reasons. And I realized it's because I haven't really been reading poetry this week, even just reading poetry for me. Right. Is a creative practice. And so I I sat down and I finally read a few poems from this book I've had on my bedside table for a while. And I felt a lot better. You know um so i think um i think it has that kind of calming calming aspect right but i also think you can't um you can't make art without paying attention to what's inside of you and also um acknowledging the importance of what's outside of you. You have to like to write a poem. You have to listen, right? You have to listen to an inner voice, but you also have to listen to the city street noises or the birds or your coworker tapping away on their computer. Um, you, You know, all of those things feed your poem. You know, and you have to listen to what other poets say in their poems and you have to listen to what's in the newspaper, you know, read that, listen to what that's saying to you inside. Um, So I think that listening practice um, and that that self-reflection helps helps people grow.
0: Listeners, this is why everybody needs a friend who is a poet because Leslie is amazing. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I was just thinking, what if and maybe I will try this tomorrow. I have a book of poetry at home that somebody gifted me and what if I took every hour I took a poetry break and read a poem? Yep. Like what would that do for my mental space? What would that do for my um my creativity and my uh, productivity?
1: Yeah. And, you know, take a haiku break and write a haiku about what's outside your window. And I guarantee you that grant you're working on, it'll start coming together in the afternoon, you know? <laughs> yes. um, I mean, I just, I think we need, I think art makes us think in another way that we're not, that's not a businessy way, you know, to, and it, you know, it doesn't have Uh, a calendar to keep so to speak whereas you know we do we do right and so it breaks us out of calendar mode and appointment mode and um, makes us be more present with the world and with ourselves
0: you know listening is the crux the core of dealing with conflict and it is it is start starts with listening with you what specifically is going on Why is this a problem? What expectations have or haven't been met? You know, all of this sort of, um, knowing yourself, all of this listening internally. And once you've done that, now you're listening to the other person because we, we spin narratives about the other person's motives, what's going on with them, but we usually get that wrong. Um. And it's taking a break because once we've been listened to and we don't have that chaotic stuff going on inside, Mm -hmm. we've quieted down and we've narrowed it and we can see it. We are now in a space that we can genuinely listen to somebody else so that we can for understanding for progress. Yeah. 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 And I also
1: think um, engaging in a creative practice because it nourishes your heart, your brain, your body. Um, because it's such a nourishing thing to do, um, you come back to your other work uh, refreshed, or get a creative idea that you that you might not have had if you hadn't engaged in that practice. So, like, I've been sort of trying to write this poem. It's kind of been brewing in the back of my mind, and I fiddled with it yesterday. I got some words on the page, but it, it wasn't it wasn't flying. And I, I, it, it wasn't working. And so I read some poems last night before I went to bed, just because I, I just felt like I needed to do that. I was like, how long has it been since I've read poems? It's been at least a week oh, yeah, since <laughs> I've really read poems. And so I read, I read a selection um, from a poet I admire, and in fact, she is now our poet laureate of the United States, Ada Limon. And I read some of her poems, and then I went to sleep. And I woke up and there and I came to my computer this morning, and there was my poem that my raggedy poem that I wasn't happy with, and it just it started going you know, and I, so I credit Ada Limon with that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Would you have any poems that you could share with us that are yours um I do um let me
1: see uh let me let me jump into my um into my drive and I'll find one that's kind of, I'll try to find one that's kind of fun. Um, I've got some, some newer ones that I've written in the past year. Oh, I have one that's not properly a poem, but um, I, so I found this meme online um, by the Raccoon Society, which is like a creative arts society. And it's, and, and this meme was called a pep talk generator. And I used to have something like this for Shakespeare, for teaching Shakespeare. It's three, when I taught Shakespeare, I had this thing that was a curse generator and it was three columns of Shakespearean curse, curses like blunder, gaseous fool or something like that and you could you could mix and match the three words and create a curse a shakespearean style you know you blundered belly you know i don't know whatever you wanted to say shakespearean and and going across it well then i found this pep talk generator it does the same thing where you take three or as many words as you want from different columns and then you craft a sentence around them. So this is based on that pep talk generator and the poem is called A Little Pep Talk. Um, And so some of the phrases are from the pep talk generator and and then a lot of them are mine. (laughs) So, um, Ace, your soul is made of diamonds and that's just science like how the wind shapes itself to love you in broad daylight as you are. As you are human, know this, your breath is holy smoke. Sweet thing, your brain has serious game and your heart that's always breaking shimmers in gold repair. And, um, so I use that, um, for folks who might not know the Japanese word, which is the practice of mending broken pottery with, with gold,
0: um, that is to make beautiful. it more
1: beautiful. Yeah.
0: That is beautiful, <laughs> Leslie. Thank you for sharing that poem with us. Um, I'm, I'm glad you liked it.
1: It's fun. It's one of my, one of my new favorites.
0: I love it. That is just beautiful. I'm going to, if it's okay with you, can I print that out on the show notes so people can read it?
1: Sure. Absolutely. I'll send you a copy.
0: Wonderful. That's great. Well, as we end our time today, that would be lovely to end on, but I do love asking this last question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) When you think about the future of work and we want to have places where people are not only respected, but that they're they're allowed to be brilliant, right? So we want to make these conditions for people to, uh, to be brilliant. What do you think needs to happen or what kind of conditions can be put in place to help people achieve and, and be their brilliant selves?
1: Oh, that's so, oh man, that, that would be like a utopia, right? A workplace <laughs> utopia. Um, I, think it star- I think it starts with each individual having access to um education and to opportunity, mm-hmm. right? I think it starts I think it starts in our schools honestly mary um, and and having you know young people get exposed to all kinds of of work opportunities and internships, um maybe remaking you know the the high school experience to be more engaged. With workplace experiences, so that young people have a better idea of, of the possibilities for themselves and also making sure they have the education they need to achieve those possibilities so i think I think once individuals have are empowered right to be able to see those opportunities or to be able to create opportunities for themselves. Um, We'll have workplaces that are closer to that vision of, you know, being places where everyone can shine, where everyone is, um, is well compensated for their work and appreciated and, um, and has a positive experience and is, and, and going to work, you know, isn't, I mean, work can be work, right? It can be hard, it can be challenging, Uh, And some days you might want not want to face those challenges, but to but to not feel like you're working someplace that's actively trying to suppress you or exploit you, you know, which is the case in so many countless work situations, even in the United States, where we have labor laws to protect us and and all of that. You know, people still go to work every day and feel horrible about being there. Mm -hmm. Um. Because it's not what they want to be doing. It's not the best use of their talent or they haven't had the opportunities in education to get to what they could do, you know? So, yeah. So I really, I, I just, I think it starts in the schools.
0: Yeah. I agree. You know, reimagining. Uh, if we want to, if we know where we want to go, then we can look at the beginnings and see how are we yeah. actually going to, to meet that.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm working with a teacher right now I'm, I'm doing a little bit of work for a nonprofit that does a writers in schools program and um, so we collaborate with teachers to support their students and he's um, he's a senior English teacher he's teaching seniors and um, he has a wonderful assignment that he gives them it's their, it's a research paper and they have to research their car- their their possible careers you know and read about And he says a lot of them change their minds when they look at what they, you know, like girls will say, I just, I just want to do hair. And, you know, and he's like, well, what about owning a salon, you know, or what about doing hair for movie stars or, you know, like he gets them to think about it in, in different ways. Right. And to look at the, you know, the possibilities, like, what would you need? Right. And what would you have to do to get that? And so I, I, love, I love working with this teacher because he's such a positive influence on, on these students.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your ideas and your poetry with us. Thanks so much for having
1: me, Mary. It's been a great way to spend the morning.
0: Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Take care.
1: Bye.
0: Thank you, Leslie, for being our guest this week on Conflict Managed. I really appreciate your beautiful poem. As you think about having healthier work environments, how can the arts help you and your organization achieve your desired results? Conflict Manage is produced by Third Party Workplace Conflict Restoration Services. You can find them online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. I'm your host, Mary Brown. If you have ideas for future podcasts or anybody you would like to see interviewed or a book reviewed, let me know. You can reach out to me at 3pconflictrestoration at gmail.com. Please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps us out a lot. I'd appreciate that. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.